Hi, everyone. This week, we're replaying one of our favorite episodes from the first couple years of the podcast. We hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. Thanks. Welcome to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. I'm Joanna Shaw-Flam. I am an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And I am Daphne Yang. I'm a certified personal trainer, nutrition counselor, race coach, and the creator of Hit It, New York's ultimate high-intensity interval training workout. And if you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. And before we get started, remember to talk to your doctor before you start any workout or nutrition plan. Um, Hi, everybody. Uh, I know that you heard us just last week, but Daphne and I haven't actually been in the same place and recorded for like a long time. Six weeks. So I feel like we're coming back. Uh, so welcome back. Um, if you want to make sure that you never miss us, um, just like uh, we never want to miss each other, uh, you should subscribe. Um, you can do it on iTunes, on Google Play Music, on Stitcher, on whatever your podcast app of choice is. Subscribe to us. You, then you don't have to figure out like when our episodes come out. P.S. It's Monday at 4 a.m. Eastern. Um, it'll just be there for you. You'll never miss an episode. You'll never run into me. And I'll say something about, you know, well, in our episode about um, elephants, and you'll be like, oh, how did I miss the elephant episode? You'll never miss the elephant episode <laughs> if you subscribe. Uh, so today, Daphne and I are here to talk about salt. Such a good topic. Um, it's a great topic. Yeah. Um, we've talked before, I think, or I've mentioned before the like cheese chips chocolate thing where it's like you order it in, in order of like what is the most important to you. And mine is that order, cheese chips chocolate. Mm-hmm. Do you know what your order yeah. is? Yeah. Mine is chocolate cheese chips. Right. So it yeah. seems like I'm probably more of a salt fiend yeah. than you are. I'm more of a... I, I definitely have a sweet tooth. I think mm-hmm. I might have maybe... Well... Yeah, I'm definitely more of a sweet tooth. However, I I do love salt as well. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in the form of salty snacks, but I think maybe what I'm trying to say is I actually just like really flavorful foods. <laughs> weird. <laughs> I just don't like bland You're such foods. such a weirdo. Um, but I do require more salt for some reason. I don't yeah. know if it's just my taste buds, which we'll get into, but um, like whenever I'm having dinner with Stuart... I have to add a little extra sprinkle of sea salt to mm-hmm. my dinner before I eat, whereas he feels like his is plenty salty. Do you guys find that with you and Matt, your salt salt taste um, buds are I think different? we more have just different habits about how we salt our food. I am more likely to like salt the dish as we're cooking to the point where I feel it's ready, whereas like Matt is much more likely to get to the table, pick up the salt shaker like test it in his hand and then put it over the mm-hmm. food. And I think so much of that is just habit. And yeah. also maybe the fact that I'm usually the one like holding the spoon in the kitchen. So yeah. like I'm seasoning to my taste, but, uh, it's it like also you, you got to like, season every step of the way. That's right. And yeah. you have to taste as you go <laughs> or you don't know what it tastes like. Yeah. Um, but the reason I wanted to talk about salt is twofold. One, because I think it really fits into a craving slot for me if I, my sort of like trigger foods, for lack of a better term, like the foods that if I have them in the house, I cannot stop eating or I like eat in an unhealthy way are salty foods. I don't have that problem with cake. Like if I have a cake in the house, 
yeah, I'll eat a piece of cake every day, but I'm not going to eat four pieces of cake every day. Whereas if I have a bag of tortilla chips in the house, it's gone. Like I, I love them mm-hmm. so much and I love them in large quantities. So I want to talk about it on one hand from the craving standpoint. So, um, and then on the other hand, um, there's been a lot more emphasis on salt and sodium in, um, like public health stuff, especially in New York. So New York just, or they passed a sodium labeling law that is just going into effect now. Um, and so some places have these like labeling laws for calorie counts. New York has for a while. I think there are some other places, cities and states around the country that have these, but basically in New York, if you are a chain restaurant, so if you have, I think it's like 15 or more of a restaurant, you have to have calorie counts on your menus. Um, and now there is a similar law in New York for sodium, which is, I think it's that if you're a chain restaurant and an item on your menu has more than 2,300 milligrams of sodium. Right. So that's more like if one item on your menu has more than the daily recommended amount of sodium, you have to put a little like salt emergency. (laughs) And it literally looks like a salt emergency sign. Yeah. It's a little salt shaker inside of a big red triangle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, you know, anytime you talk about food labeling and public health, there are questions about like efficacy and like what should and should not be labeled, whether labeling does any good. Um, we're not going to be able to solve those questions in our podcast because neither of us is a public health expert. <laughs> um, but we, what we can talk about is like why this is coming up and then what we as individual consumers might want to do about it. Mm-hmm. And how um, crazy is this? So the restaurants, they get fined yeah. $200 if they don't put a salt shaker emergency sign next to their foods that mm-hmm. have more than 2,300 milligrams of sodium, which is about how much you should be. Con- that's like the high end of what you should be ingesting mm-hmm. in one day. Yeah. Well, this is another, this is like a tangent, but from working in like independent restaurants, um, these kind of rules like matter so little to chains and so much to smaller businesses. Um, although I guess if you have 15 restaurants, you're not a small business. But like, with, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, it's much easier for a large business to absorb a $200 fine. Totally. Right? Yeah. Very but, good call. Um, you know, but also large businesses want to adjust, like large businesses don't want to be out of step with regulation because it's a pain in their butts. Mm-hmm. So it does like, I noticed when they introduced the calorie counts in New York, Starbucks changed their pastry menu because yeah. my beloved M&M cookie <laughs> That I love so much. <gasps> Turns out people don't order it when you see that it's like 5 yeah. million calories. So they changed what they offered to suit this new labeling. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's what they're hoping will happen with these sodium labeling laws too, is that like once it becomes embarrassing for restaurants to have these little salt emergency things, that they'll change how they make what they make. Totally. I actually think it's really great that... Uh, that restaurants do this. And I think that it's helpful, even though no one really wants to know sometimes, I think it does lead to a more positive change. And I remember when I used to work at Starbucks, it was my very first job when I was 15. Um, I didn't even have my license yet. So I, um, my parents were still driving me to and from working at Starbucks, but seeing all the calorie counts of 
everything. The maple oat nut scone was my favorite. It doesn't even exist anymore. For the same reason, probably. And, um, actually, I still chose to eat it, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I was like, well, this is so good. And 15-year-old Daphne was like, I don't care. <laughs> interestingly, I think the studies about the calorie counts on menus have shown that it doesn't really change consumer mm-hmm. behavior, yeah. but it changes the restaurant's behavior. Yeah, definitely. Um, so anyway, let's get down to the basics of this, which is what is salt what is salt uh gosh where do we even begin what is salt well first of all let's talk about where salt comes from so the store definitely the story it comes from the store <laughs> you're at the store i was like oh it's story time yes it is story time uh it does come from the store but salt comes from the sea so all salt comes from the sea however it's 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 kind of gathered differently. So we have two types of salt, really. The two main types of salt right now are normal table salt, and then we have sea salt. So table salt is typically mined from salt deposits. So it's like remnants of older bodies of seawater that have been dried up and long gone for a really long time. So these deposits are washed with water to dissolve the salt and this kind of forms the salt solution, which is then evaporated under vacuum to form crystals. So this is how we get just normal, basic table salt. Sure, sure. Mined by salt dwarves. Got mm-hmm. it. Totally. <laughs> but it still comes essentially from the ocean. But mm-hmm. it's the remnants ocean of the... Ocean salt the, dwarves. Exactly. <laughs> so we can get our salt by mining salt, but we also have sea salt. So sea salt is crystallized from current bodies of seawater that are um, people will either do something called open air solar evaporation, which is a little bit more expensive. So if you see a sea salt that is pretty pricey, generally it came uh, from it came to be with this evaporation method. But there's also a quicker vacuum evaporation process, and sea salt is um, sea salt is a little bit more unrefined, and I feel like it's a little bit stronger in flavor. And it has some trace minerals in it. So, so that's what it doesn't salt have iodine, right? Because it does iodine not have has iodine, iodine to table mm-hmm. salt. Yeah, that's something that we'll talk about too, because iodine in the 1920s, the US government felt like US citizens were not getting enough iodine. And so they added it into our salt, which when I found that out, I was really perplexed by this. So we'll mm-hmm. have to get into that a little, a little deeper. So salt all comes from the sea, but it's harvested differently. It's either harvested from salt mines in which the water has been long gone, or it is sea salt, which is harvested from evaporated seawater that is currently there. So like a huge thing right now is Himalayan pink sea salt, right? So that's actually harvested from salt mines in the Himalayas, and they just happen to be pink. So Himalayan pink sea salt is Himalayan pink salt pink Himalayan salt. I don't, my brain just totally, <laughs> when you say the words enough times, they stop having any meaning. So that's actually not, um, they're from mines and that's actually not sea salt. No, from... I had a crazy salt experience. Which yeah. is, so I had one really super fancy dinner in my life, which I did not pay for in which, um, with one of the courses, there was a salt course or it wasn't a salt course, but there was like a salt, um, tasting with it that had this like beautiful tray that had all these different kinds of salt. So there was like sea salt and pink salt and black salt and like lava salt from Hawaii. And I was like, this is crazy. So fancy. It tastes like salt (laughs) to me. I love it. You know, I love salt. So I guess my ratio of 
chocolate cheese and chips. That that one's hard because it's like I just love salt so much. Just love chocolate a little bit more. Well, the great thing <laughs> in life is that we don't actually have to choose. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have a lot more of salt. I mean, you need it to live off of. You don't mm-hmm. need chocolate to live off of. Not that you there's don't anything. Need chocolate to live. Oh, I know. I haven't had. I do. <laughs> well, actually, maybe I I do. You know. <laughs> So now I do want to talk a little bit about sodium versus salt. What do you mean versus? So, Joanna, did you think that maybe salt and sodium were the same thing or I'm interchangeable? Sure I use the words interchangeably already in this podcast. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. Sodium and salt are actually not interchangeable. Did you ever take chemistry? Yes. Of course you took chemistry. Of course I took chemistry. Yeah, yeah. I took chemistry too. Um, Ask me how it went. How did it poorly. go? <laughs> uh, I actually really liked chemistry, but I had a teacher who was very um, obtuse and like we just could not communicate. <laughs> I was like, chemistry is basically math. How are we having such a hard time talking yeah. about these concepts? So anyway... Maybe in my adult life, I'll have to take one of those like online learning classes about chemistry. <laughs> you know, I feel like, yeah, I, I actually feel like I had moments in high school where I was like, this is not going to apply to any of my life. And I'm just doing this so I can get a good grade and get to NYU so I can go to theater school. <laughs> um, but with chemistry, weirdly enough, Joanna, I actually really liked chemistry and was actually pretty good at it. I don't nerd, think that's weird. Nerd alert. <laughs> um, I, uh, I actually really, really enjoyed it. So we're going to talk about salt from a chemical perspective. And when I say a chemical perspective, I don't mean artificial chemicals. I just mean from a chemistry standpoint. Mm-hmm. So do you remember the periodic table of elements? Yes. Do you remember, do you remember salt was, or do you remember there was one that was Na and uh-huh. another one that was Cl? Yes. So those two put together, that makes salt. The okay. Na is sodium. The CL is chloride. So sodium is actually its own mineral. Only part of salt. It's only part of salt and it's only 40% of salt. So one little salt, you know. Nugget. One salt (laughs) um, compound. Molecule (laughs) compound. One salt element is a bond of sodium and a bond of chloride. So sodium is... Sodium is an electrolyte, and it's called an electrolyte because it actually carries an electric charge, and I am going to talk about electrolytes a little bit later, especially as we start to talk about working out and running and sweating. So um, sodium is is critical in the human body. We have to have sodium in our systems or else we die. It plays a super vital role in regulating muscle contractions, but mostly your heart muscle contractions. And Ooh, that's, that's also, an important it's muscle. really, really, really important. So we essentially can't live without sodium. Whereas salt, yes, salt contains sodium, but the two are actually not interchangeable. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes me feel bad about having screwed <laughs> it up before, but it makes sense. I, I like debunking myths. <laughs> I feel like that's something that that our podcast is really good for. We get to debunk a lot of myths here. Mm -hmm. So like I said, salt contains 40% sodium and 60% chloride. So uh, Americans, we consume a lot of sodium every single day. Uh, And yeah, it does come in the form of salt, but there's also sodium 
but the sodium sources that we get it from, like if you are trying to reduce your sodium, it's not just coming from the salt shaker on your table. So the highest sources of sodium are actually processed and packaged foods and a lot of restaurant foods, kind of like what we were talking about a little bit earlier. So now you guys know it's just a, a little ratio of sodium to chloride. And that's what makes salt and salt and sodium are actually not interchangeable, but sodium is just a um, component, an element of salt. So let's talk about what, why we need sodium to live. Did I use the right word there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So why it's, important for heart and muscle contractions, mm -hmm. you said? Yeah. Muscles can't live without sodium. So we need it to transmit a lot of nerve impulses. We also need it to contract and relax muscle fibers, uh, including those in the heart, like I had talked about. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, and this is probably going to be the most, I guess, obvious or the one that will make the most sense for people, the one that does sound the most tangible and the one that does fit into our fitness and nutrition world is that it helps you maintain proper fluid balance. So it actually helps you maintain proper fluid balance. Okay. So this is going to sound really weird. So think about this for wait. a second. <laughs> we need water to survive, right? Yes. I'm, yes. The human body, um, if you don't have water for three days, you'll essentially die, right? But you can go days without food. You can go 40 days without food, three days without water. So you know how we always talk about salt and how it makes us bloated and it makes us retain water and oh my gosh, the sodium in my fish and chips that I just ate, like, you know, that was so high and I feel so bloated right now. This is the caveman podcast. After all, our human body is always trying to keep us alive. Our human body is always, always, always trying to keep us alive. The reason why the human body bloats, it, it bloats to retain water. Retaining water is what is preventing your body from becoming dehydrated. Your body's trying to cling on to as much water as it can and not have you either, you know, pee it out or sweat it out or flush it in any other way. But the human body's trying to retain as much water as it can to keep you alive. So that's why it's important to have sodium in the body because we do need a little bit of fluid retention. Um, so essentially your body is just doing its job by, to retain water. Uh, this prevents you from dying of dehydration. Essentially. That's good. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about survival and a lot of what we talk about at just one more podcast is very, um, is very central to America, I would mm -hmm. say, or, yeah. or just, or just civilization, just like yeah. normal like life, Western, like Western, um, styles of eating and yeah, living. Western styles of eating. I know we have some listeners in other parts of the country. And so of course this applies to them too. But what I challenge all of you listeners is to think about once again, caveman times, and think about how there are so many parts of the world right now where people actually aren't living in um, excess. They're not eating lean cuisines. And, yeah, they're not eating lean cuisines. I was watching the show Human Planet the other day where anthropologists still study other civilizations that exist right now, not in like any city, but in some remote jungles of mm -hmm. whatever. And for me, that's what always puts it into perspective. Why our human body does what it does. Mm -hmm. Why our human bodies are constantly just trying to keep us alive. So... The body retains water because of sodium and the sodium is designed to retain the water to keep you alive. Now, if you are feeling bloated and if you are feeling like your body, you, there's no worry about you not being alive <laughs> <laughs> and you really just need to flush out the sodium because you just ate way too much, you know, fish and chips from a restaurant and you are feeling a little bit bloated. 
Um, a dehydrated body is going to retain water. A well-hydrated body is not going to retain water. Mm. So it's pretty easy. So you just, water is the answer to water. It is. Water is the answer to water. Oh. If you drink water, your body is going to release what it's holding on to. I once had a client who... I noticed it was so strange. She, and I don't train her anymore and I haven't seen her in, uh, I just so did a few sessions. Trash. I know. Yeah. But I remember, um, she was an actress and, and I remember during our sessions, how little water she would drink, but how she would just try to sweat and she would like work so hard and wouldn't like, wouldn't even talk to me because she just wanted to burn calories. Um, and Talking just wanted calories. to, right. <laughs> But yeah, so a little, you know, there's some situations going yeah, on. Yeah, some some other stuff going on. Um, but then I noticed how little water she drank, and finally I asked her about it, and she was like, "Oh, I'm not drinking water because I don't want to store any water weight." And oh, I was like, no. "Oh my gosh!" How do you, and I do have you have whole... like a, a face that you use when clients say crazy things to you? Yeah, it looks like this. <laughs> I should take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. If Deb Nehra makes this face, you've said a crazy thing. So I promptly told her that if she didn't want to retain water, she needed to chug water. And and that was the end of that. And then I never saw her again. No. <laughs> she really did not no. like Daphne's ideas about water. No, then I left the gym I was training at. And, and so, but... But anywho, so that's why but we I need But I do get salt. why it's counterintuitive. I mean, people are always talking about like... You know, when you go on such and such kind of diet, like you're losing weight, but it's just quote unquote water weight. Mm -hmm. And like, it's a perfect example of a thing that has a name that sounds like a thing we should understand. And it seems like using just our like regular human media brains, we're like, oh, if the problem is water weight, then the answer is to not drink water. And it takes like an expert or at least someone who understands how science and the body works to say, no, 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 no. Like this is happening because your body is holding on to water because it's not getting enough, not because water is like pooling in your limbs. Yeah. Right? Um, this is why science is important to um, having not just healthy bodies, but also healthy ideas about bodies. Wow. I'm really glad we're doing this topic today. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, because sometimes for me, things... Well, and I guess having been in this for, gosh, at this point in time, almost a decade professionally, but being into health and nutrition Mm -hmm. and the knowledge that goes behind it since I was 14, I forget that some things really are not second nature. Common knowledge. Yeah, and I think that a lot of things are common knowledge, but they're totally not Mm -hmm. at all. And that's why we have this podcast. Well, also, (laughs) our common knowledge has been deliberately messed with. Totally. By people who want to sell us things. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, it's like about clawing our way back to having our set of common knowledge be actually based in science, Mm -hmm. which um, that's what Daphne's about. Daphne and I, I have to say, are both like chugging water during this (laughs) Normally we don't drink much while we're uh, recording yeah. because we don't want you to like hear us yeah, vlogging because in the we're like talking. And- we're talking about it so much that like neither of us can <laughs> stop drinking water. Okay, okay, so salt is very important um, for making like maintaining liquid balance and also the muscle stuff that you talked about. Um, what happens if we have too much sodium in our bodies? Like, why okay. are doctors and public health people concerned about? Sodium, emergency sodium signs yeah. on our food. Okay, so 
Sodium, I feel like in recent years has, uh, I would say maybe within the past decade, has also become kind of a bad word. Yeah. Kind of like carbs. Mm-hmm. Sodium always has a negative connotation to I it. I feel especially for older people. I feel like it's mm-hmm. not talked about as much among like our age group, but almost every older person I know is quote unquote watching their salt. Like yeah. whatever that means. Yeah. So here is why having too much sodium is not a good thing. So the kidneys have to work really hard when there is too much, when there is excess sodium in the bloodstream. So if sodium is accumulating, the body is going to hold on to water like we just talked about. But then what happens is this increases the amount of fluid surrounding the cells and the volume of blood in the bloodstream. Which leads to, if you have an increased blood volume, that means you have to put more stress on the heart. So your heart has to work harder. There's a little bit more pressure on the blood vessels. So over time, it's just extra work. And after a long time of this, that extra work, this extra pressure, it can actually stiffen the blood vessels in your heart. And this is what leads to high blood pressure, heart attacks, strokes, and heart failure. Um, and there's also some evidence that too much salt is not good for, uh, or can actually damage the heart and the aorta and the kidneys without increasing blood pressure. So a lot of things, or a lot of times people always talk about blood pressure, like salt yeah. or too much sodium or well, people say salt, but really it's yeah. the sodium that increases the blood pressure. So really too much of anything is never good. What I recommend everyone doing is getting an annual physical just to make sure that everything is totally on point. But Daphne, even men? Yes. (laughs) This drives me crazy because as women, um, most women have to see a doctor once a year because Mm -hmm. if they're in their like childbearing years and they don't want to be bearing children or whether they want to be bearing children or not, they are probably seeing a doctor once a year relating to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas men don't have to go get a grown-up to sign off on their medications. So they, like, never have to go. So it drives me crazy. I feel like I see my doctor, like, twice a week, and my husband, like, never goes. Yeah, like, when was the last time he went? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's super frustrating. Well, maybe he'll go after hearing this podcast. I'm I'm coming at this from, like, my, like, life is unfair. But also, I think that um, women are more likely to go see a doctor about a serious issue because they have this more regular interaction. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think for men going to see the doctor feels more unusual. So there's like more of a barrier, um, to doing it if something Mm -hmm. comes up. So if you get in the habit of going for an annual physical, then that barrier is a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. If something does come up, um, you like have a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. I am all for things like, um, like Eastern medicine practices, but I also think it is super important to uh, take advantage of some of the resources we have with Western medicine and to get our annual physical and, you know, gyno exam and, and all that stuff. I mean, that's, that's really critical too. So really we need the best of both worlds. And if you get a physical every year, you get a chance to see what the deal is with your blood pressure. And, uh, and then you can tell if you have high or low blood pressure. And if blood pressure is an issue, then absolutely. Yeah. Or if high blood pressure is an issue, then yeah, absolutely. You can reduce your sodium intake. And so blood pressure is this, it's just the pressure of your blood in the circulatory system. So it's, it's 
it kind of relates to the force and the rate of your heartbeat or of your heartbeat. And so sometimes when it's too high, that's why it's a negative because it means your heart is working a little too hard to pump blood. So the thing is, I find a lot of people with high blood pressure, I think it's a little bit more stress related. Sometimes it's genetics. Of course, you can help it with a little bit of a reduction of your sodium intake. Um, of course, there are parts of America where I think the sodium intake is a little bit higher and where people might have maybe less conscious, less health conscious parts of America. Uh, maybe people are a little bit more at risk, but really it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like cholesterol. You know, we talked about how eggs don't actually raise your right. cholesterol. Um, or it's, it's not the only reason why. If someone right. has it's high cholesterol, it's, it's, there are so many other factors to it. Sure. Um, and it's the same thing with blood pressure as well. So, of course, you, if you do have high blood pressure, you can help it by a little bit of a reduction of your sodium intake. But really, you do have to take a look at the overall picture. This is making me realize we really have not talked about heart disease and high blood pressure much at all on the podcast, Yeah, which I know. is I weird that. because it is one of the leading health problems in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just listening to a thing on NPR about how often heart disease is undiagnosed in women because our ideas about what heart disease looks like um, come from what it looks like in men. So what heart attack looks like in men, what heart disease looks like in men. And in women, it often presents differently and women get misdiagnosed, um, which is why uh, death from heart disease among women in the U.S. is so high is mm -hmm. because doctors aren't catching it because it looks different in women than it does totally. in men. Anyway, yeah. so that makes me think that we should do another episode that's all about like heart health. Yeah. Because we really haven't touched idea. that at all. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, so let's talk about... How, why are we, why and how are we getting so much sodium? Like, where okay. is it coming Here's from? Here's where it's coming from. It's, it's hiding. It's not <laughs> salt. It's totally hiding. It's not coming from our, our own cooking. There's, nope. It's not at all. It's nope. not coming from the amount of salt we use in our own cooking. So it's, it's in packaged foods. It's in processed foods. Those processed foods. Yeah, it's always back, those processed it's always foods. Always the answer, mm -hmm. isn't it? Think about how salt and sugar are preservatives, right? So processed foods they get pumped full of salt and sugar because it makes them either last longer or because if the fat content is super low, they have to pump up the salt and sugar to make it taste like something. So Or if it's just gonna sit in a box for six months for it to taste like anything by the time mm -hmm. someone gets to it, it's gotta be full of salt and sugar. And restaurant foods. Restaurant foods, just like what we were talking about, uh, pretty much contain like double the amount. Like if you were to make something at home versus eat the exact same dish at a restaurant, let's just use an example of like, I don't know, chicken parm. Um, if you were to eat it at a restaurant, say at Olive Garden, <laughs> you know, I mean, can, can we look this up right now? Like how much sure. sodium is in the chicken parm at yeah, Olive totally. Garden? I wonder. Are you going to look it up? Yeah, I'll look okay. it up. Well, um, here's the thing. So I understand why it's so much higher in packaged foods because of what we were talking about in terms of like preservatives and things. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a little harder for me to figure out why it's quite so much higher in restaurant food. I get it that like restaurant food is richer and sort of has like more intense flavors overall. But I wonder if it's also 
like if there's differences among restaurants, like restaurants that are using more essentially like processed food ingredients versus restaurants that are really cooking everything from scratch, I would guess you're still going to do better at a place that is really cooking from scratch versus like a chain where they're getting a certain amount of stuff like pre made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like compare, I don't know. Olive Garden and ABC Kitchen. Not <laughs> to sound like a complete snob. Oh, well. oh my god, this is this is not a snobby podcast. I, I promise you. <laughs> it's a little here. bit of snobby podcast, but we're doing what we can. Yeah, but we do that because we are snobs. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say we love quality mm-hmm. over quantity, and um, and yeah, we are so lucky that we live in New York where we do have access to. I, and I, I mean, you and I are both like foodies and we love restaurants. And well, I mean, yeah. that's something that is a huge part of the entire social scene of New York City. I think that's a part of each of our relationships to each other. No, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, with, you know, my significant other and your significant other. And um, that's a part of the fun. And I do think that you can make better choices at restaurants. And I also do think that um, at restaurants, if you opt for, just quality over quantity, then you can help reduce a lot of, well, the sodium intake, just the overall, um, you know, just the overall intake of everything. But yeah, (laughs) so I mean, it's, I I don't mean to knock on chain restaurants, but sometimes we do end up knocking on chain restaurants. Well, and the thing that I always want to make sure that we talk about is that all of this is systems, right? Food Mm -hmm. is all food and health and nutrition is all systems. So like someone like me, um, if I have too much sodium in my diet, it might be because I'm going to restaurants that serve really rich food. Um, another person in another part of the country, their problem might be different and it might be because the way they can afford to eat is, you know, maybe they work double shifts and the way they can afford to eat is these like cheap packaged foods. And that's why there's so much sodium in their diet. Mm -hmm. And that's why we try to talk about these things, not in terms of guilt or fault, Mm -hmm. but just in terms of like facts and balance, because, you know, if I'm a person who's like working two shifts and trying to support my kids, like going to ABC kitchen is not the answer to my problems. Right. It's, um, it's not the answer to right. anyone's but problems, there, but, but yeah. there are things that people can do no matter what the sort of system of interwoven things that is causing challenges for them. Um, there's, there's an, something that can be better for everybody, regardless of sort of where your problems are coming from and what your challenges are. Would you like to hear the horrifying nutrition facts for the, <laughs> the chicken parm at yes, Olive Garden? I would love to. Okay, in one chicken parm, this is one dinner entree for someone. It it has one thousand eighty nine calories, uh-huh. forty nine grams of fat, and you know I I'm always like yeah don't pay attention to fat grams when it's this yes pay attention to <laughs> fat grams and for sodium three thousand three hundred and eighty milligrams of Sodium. So that would definitely be one of, it would need like a little salt shaker emergency sign. Oh yeah. Big time. That's crazy. Because also when people are, just portions are bigger at restaurants Mm -hmm. too. I think that's, that's another thing. I mean, of course, depending on the restaurant, but sometimes. Having um, been to an Olive Garden, I can tell you that that is an issue at all. Oh my God. My freshman year of college, before I discovered the New York City restaurant scene, my roommate, Christina and I. We would go to Olive Garden once a month as a treat dinner. Really? <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, it's funny. I went to the one in Times Square once for my birthday. <laughs> See, you this have is to go like, once. Right? Yeah, and like it was just tradition. We went once a month for like two years, 
and it, and then <laughs> and then recovered. and then I remember in, in like recent adult years, we were like, we can't believe we <laughs> we did that. Well, and, so and all of that is not to say you can never again eat this food, but mm-hmm. it is to say yes. it is not not salting your eggs at breakfast that is going to save your sodium intake. It's not having the chicken parm at dinner at a restaurant that it, or, you know, over and over and over over and over and over. Like, um, like there are some people who, um, in America who really eat way too much fast food mm -hmm. and that's just not good. Like that's something that I would have to, you know, really put my foot down. It's not as popular, I think within our circle and within our lives here in New but York. There's but there's different versions. Like it maybe doesn't yeah, look like maybe, McDonald's, but, it's but maybe it looks pizza? like 2 a.m. pizza yeah. or it looks like breakfast at, you know, our beloved Dunkin', Dunkin Donuts, Donuts every morning. Or, <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. You know, that's it, still technically fast Or food. it's McDonald's when you're drunk, which I have to break it to you is still yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like your state of sobriety doesn't affect <laughs> how much sodium is in the food. Um, and so I think that, like the, the big The big picture here is we are getting too much sodium, not because of cooking at home and adding salt for flavor, but because of the added sodium that is in all of these packaged and pre-made and um, purchased out, purchased other places, foods Um, and drinks, right? I feel like there's secret sodium in drinks. There is secret sodium in drinks as well. Yeah. There is secret sodium in drinks. Mm -hmm. There is secret sodium in cold cuts and cured meats, although maybe that's a little bit more obvious. Yeah. Because it tastes salty at least. Yeah, <laughs> because it's essentially been salted and cured. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, certain types of soups. Uh, oh, yeah, different like canned t- soup. Yeah, canned soups, uh, pizza. I think that's a pretty obvious one. So. Ooh, can I say something about canned soup? Mm hmm. Okay. So, canned soup is a place where, like, have you ever accidentally bought the low salt canned soup? Maybe it tastes is real it, bad. You yeah. know. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. taste like anything. It tastes terrible. Um, and the reason is that the reason there's all that salt in the full salt version of canned soup is because the salt or the sodium is required to make it taste like anything. Yeah. Whereas, so that makes my initial reaction is like, Oh no, I can't have soup anymore. But really like if you have made soup at home, the amount of salt you would have to add in from your salt shaker to make your homemade soup taste like something is so much less than the amount of sodium that would be in canned soup. And that's not to say that I'm never again going to eat canned soup. I'm definitely going to eat canned soup again. Mm-hmm. But I think it's an, uh, a way to sort of like show yourself like how, that, how those numbers get so high in packaged foods. And like rather than having like no salt canned soup, which I'm so sorry if that is a food you've consumed because it's gross, um, like better to make it yourself and it can actually taste like food. Hooray. Yeah. When in doubt, cook at home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah. What else would you suggest in terms of limiting? Okay. So in terms of limiting, uh, if that is something you are aiming to do, say your doctor has said you should be limiting your sodium intake. Okay. So then you of course watch out for the Things like cold cuts and packaged foods and prepared foods, processed foods, and restaurant foods. So those are the obvious ones, but there are other ways you can cook with less salt. So if you're cooking on your own and that gives you, well, first of all, if you're cooking on your own, you know, we applaud you. That's awesome. You know, great work. Uh, Use herbs and spices to add flavor to the foods and 
Also, when you are eating beans, rinse the beans and try low sodium versions of broths. Um, unsalted, <laughs> unsalted soups. Don't That's what you guys I know. <laughs> or just don't skip the unsalted yeah, just, just soups. Just don't, just don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and here's my trick. Uh, I like really strong flavors, mm-hmm. and I love bright flavors. And I feel like everything I eat needs to have a little like salt and acidity and fat to it. So vinegar and citrus juice. So using some vinegar and using some lemon and lime either zest and juiced or just the juice it really does wake up your taste buds it really does so if you think about it we have our five taste bud senses we have salty we have sweet we have bitter and sour those were the four that i learned when Mm -hmm. i was in kindergarten and then there's umami now there's umami which has been around for centuries starting with the japanese so umami just means scrumptious so mm-hmm. I actually feel like it's just that like fatty mouthfeel. It's like you know? savory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I feel what's funny for me, it's like when I eat like really good buttered toast mm. or um, avocado or like a really juicy burger. It's all so savory. Yeah. I guess savory, not in the sense of like salty, but like mm-hmm. savory in the sense of like scrumptious. It's like, like meaty fatty. too. It's a meatiness. It's like a fatty mouthfeel, mm-hmm. you know? And um, which and really, when you say it sounds gross. <laughs> it does. But yeah. It really does. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds delish. Um, yeah, and so y- you just have to kind of wake up those other senses. You know, like my salt sense requires a lot of salt. And if I am trying to limit that, then I, not that I am, but um, if I were to, then I would have to just kind of like spark the other mm-hmm. the other ones. So I then think use this the is vinegar. so important to talk about how like, Food that is good for you does not have to taste bad. If it tastes bad, you're not going to eat it. Mm -hmm. And um, you're not going to be able to stick to what you want to be doing. And so um, ways to eat foods that are lower in sodium that don't taste bad, cook it yourself. Like that's the big one. And learn, like, don't also be trying to like leave out all the fat. Like foods that have no fat and no salt, like forget it. Like, yeah. it's disgusting. Why would you do that? In the like, chef no one's world, gonna eat that it's food. like, that's the thing. Salt, fat, and acidity. Those yeah. are the three things for every dish. Mm-hmm. So that's what we deserve to eat. Like we deserve to eat food that tastes good. Um, and I think it's, I think it's really great to find that balance, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, totally. Can I debunk another myth? Please. Okay. So the myth that I do want to debunk is that table salt and sea salt are, um, really any different or that sea salt is healthier for for you you or better for you because for a long time I thought sea salt was better uh, because I thought that oh because it has minerals in it or because Uh my sea salt it's not pure white like yeah it's more expensive and like mine isn't even just pure white there are little flecks of other colors in it and so automatically I was like oh um this must be so much better for me because it's five dollars <laughs> whereas you know morton's iodized salt is uh right now it's about a dollar per pound so mm-hmm. salt is cheap uh table salt is cheap so no unfortunately there are no health benefits to the sea salt over the table salt the only real so but, but in terms of the sodium chloride ratio it's the same for both of them they're both equally the same they both have uh, equal amounts of sodium in both. But here is the thing. I think sea salt is a little stronger, in my opinion. So I use less of it. And 
um, the minerals that come in sea salt, first of all, they're not minerals that we are deficient in. So it's not like it's really adding anything. And they're not even really minerals that we need. And we get so many minerals and vitamins from the foods that we eat that it's not really like it's adding anything. So I just I debunked the myth that <laughs> pink Himalayan salts and um, sea salt are so much healthier for you. However, in my mind, and in my opinion, and I think there's a lot of research to support this, this they are stronger in flavor, so you can use less of it, especially, and they have different textures too. I was gonna say, some of it so, has to do with the shape of the crystals. Definitely. Um, because like sea salt, um, generally the crystals are larger. Mm -hmm. And I've heard some uh, like reports from like food scientists who are working on like processed foods, but they're working on like creating new salt molecules that have like more surface area so that like mm. you get like less sodium but more flavor. So there is a difference in how things taste based on like what shape the crystals are. Mm -hmm. So if, if you really like sea salt, like go on with your bad self, like enjoy <laughs> your sea salt. Um, but, uh, like for example, when I'm salting water for pasta, you can bet I'm going to use the Morton's because I'm throwing a bunch of like, yeah, you, know, you just need it salt in. in there and I don't want to just like throw my money thing. in the yeah, pot I do the same. I totally do the same thing. And right. We're like on the same page. Joanna. I know. Yeah. I know. Mm -hmm. um, so you wanted to also talk a little bit about um, salt like, and running. Yeah. Like, like salt and yeah. sweating. Mm -hmm. I, so let's talk about salt from a fitness perspective right now. Well, well, before we do that, let's talk about if you do feel like you have eaten too much salt, yeah, how to flush it out do. of your system. And if For example, when I go to the Minnesota State Fair and I eat fried food all day. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was just about to say, when you... When you've eaten enough or when you've eaten too much salt or, have, or when you've consumed too much sodium, you know, <laughs> you look different, you feel different. Uh, so the first thing to do, this is very obvious, but you need to drink plenty of water. Water obviously flushes out your system and it takes a lot of excess sodium with it. So we, there is sodium in our pee and there is sodium in our sweat. So drink a lot of water to start to pee it out. And it also tells your body, I don't need to retain this anymore because I'm getting enough water. So I'm going to let go of the water that I'm retaining. And then what I always recommend too is sweat it out. Go for a run on a super hot day, hit the gym, get your cardio in, hit up the sauna, go to hot yoga, just sweat. You'll feel a lot better and you'll feel like your skin is then resting on top of your muscles again. Whereas when I'm really bloated, I feel like it goes skin, a layer of marshmallow, and then my <laughs> muscles are underneath somewhere. <laughs> so another kind of interesting thing too is that potassium helps to balance sodium levels in the body. Hmm. So sodium causes your body to retain water, but potassium helps your body, helps your body um, kind of reduce water retention. So of course, bananas and then carrots, spinach, beans, um, leafy greens, these are all high in potassium. So another thing you can do is, uh, um, eat foods, uh, and drink beverages that are natural diuretics to help kind of flush you out. So, you know, people recommend having cranberry juice without sugar. I'm just going to recommend having some coffee and, or tea and a cup of water. <laughs> and, uh, another thing you can do is you can elevate your legs which helps to reduce the swelling if it's ever in your feet or in your lower legs. I never find that for me. It's always a little higher. Mm -hmm. It's always like in my stomach and in my arms um, and in my face. But <laughs> but um, you can elevate the legs if you feel like there's swelling in your feet. 
And uh, the last thing to do, what did I write down here? Oh yeah, you have to eat foods that reduce bloating. So foods that are rich in the B vitamins. So this is gonna sound kind of crazy, but just having some nutrient dense protein. So just meat and rice. It's kind of the best thing you could do for yourself. You know, it's, it's low in carbohydrates too. And you have a lot of fiber from fiber from the rice. So th those are the things you can do to help with bloating reduction when you've overdone it, which <laughs> totally, totally happens. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about uh, outdoor workouts and sports and, um, and indoor workouts too, but mainly running and salt and sodium and kind of the benefits and risks to that. So it's really interesting whenever, and I, I've mentioned this before to you, Joanna, I've talked about how in the race coaching world, it's almost like the opposite of what the general health world tells you to do. It's um, in the race coaching world, it's all about making sure you get in enough carbs, tons of carbs, start your day off with carbs. You just need that quick glucose right away. And another thing we talk about is how much we need salt. So in the running world, it's like, okay, pickle juice, you know, salt packets, whatever you can do to get salt in your system. So when we salt or when we sweat, our bodies give off salt um, and sugar and lots of other things. And that's just, that's just kind of a natural way the body works. The body breaks down a lot of things when we sweat and it gets released out onto our skin through our sweat glands. So when we are running and when we're doing these kind of endurance sports, it's actually really important to have salt in your system because that's going to help you retain your fluid balance. So something that's actually very common in the race coaching world and something that before half marathons, before marathons, I remember at all of our team challenge races back in the day, the head, the national head race coach, Dave McGovern, he'd be having a meeting with all of us coaches throughout the entire country. And he'd be like, watch out for hyponatremia. So hyponatremia, he was like, if you see runners like walking around Vegas, carrying like a jug of water, you know, maybe tell them they don't need to do that. Sometimes I see people overhydrating. And I also remember learning about hyponatremia when I was a junior in high school. And this is when you have too much water. So this is a condition that either occurs when, um, it's either an underlying medical condition or this condition occurs when your sodium is way too low and it comes from drinking almost too much water. And I remember seeing a little image of this in my chemistry book when I was in high school and it was of a cell, a normal cell, and another cell next to it. Uh, of a person who had hyponatremia and it was this like fat swollen oh no. puffy cell balloon cell. and it was like such a balloon cell and it was very scary to me so of course it's um dangerous so it'll make you feel nauseous it'll make you black out um it can lead to death so you do need to make sure if you are doing long distance runs because i know a lot of our listeners are either runners or racers or half marathoners or triathletes or um, marathon runners, you do have to make sure that you have a sodium balance going into your run. So you do need to make sure that you have things on hand, like either salt packets or some crackers or um, <laughs> don't bring pickle juice with you to a run because <laughs> that's just so weird to me. And I love pickle juice, but that's like so 
strange. But I remember um, we would call this like a poor man's Gatorade. We would just take a big bottle of water and put in a little bit of cranberry juice and then pour in a salt packet and just Mm -hmm. shake it up. And it kind of tastes like Gatorade. You know how Gatorade tastes kind of thick and kind of minerally? That's exactly what it tasted like. So if you do want... um, The only time I would ever tell anyone to drink Gatorade is when you are doing endurance sports. Other than that, if you're not running more than seven miles, you do not need Gatorade. Um, But if you are watching your sugar or if you just don't want all the artificial coloring in your body, then you can just go ahead and get a big bottle of water, put in some cranberry juice and dump in a salt packet. And it still tastes pretty sweet. Like it just, it tastes fine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, salt and running. It's important. Very important. (laughs) Well, let me see if I can wrap this up with a little takeaway here. Um, so big takeaway, sodium and salt are different things. Salt comes from either mines or from being evaporated out of the sea Whereas sodium is um, a an element that, when combined with chloride, makes salt, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it makes food taste delicious. Um, and it's also important for our muscle health, for our muscles being able to contract, and um, uh, for uh, maintaining fluid balance in our bodies. Um, but if we have too much sodium, then it, it that's what makes us feel like bloated and what gives us balloon cells. Or no, balloon cells is if we don't have enough sodium. Right. But it, it makes us bloated um, and uh, can increase our blood pressure and can uh, lead to heart disease, things like that. So the reason that Americans have such high sodium is not because they're putting too much salt from the shaker in their food. It's because of eating processed foods, fast food, restaurant foods, things like that, where salt is being used as a preservative and as a major component of developing flavor rather than the actual ingredients in the dish being used for flavor. So if you're trying to limit your sodium intake, cook at home uh, as much as you can uh, so that um, you have control over how much salt is going in your food. But if you are cooking at home, it's okay to salt your food. Um, it's also okay to like use some acidity or use some fat to like develop the flavor, but don't feel like you have to throw out your salt shaker. The salt shaker is not the problem. The, it's the like mass of like goo that a restaurant uses to make like, you know, quote unquote food that is the problem. Um, and, uh, if we do consume too much sodium and we're feeling bloated and stuff, we can drink a lot of water to help flush it out. Um, we can sweat it out by exercising. Um, we can elevate our feet. Um, but if we're runners, we want to make sure that we are having enough salt so that we don't get balloon cells, um, which is really dangerous. And um, we can do that by making our poor man's Gatorade or just you know making sure we have enough salt in our diet leading up to endurance running. Um, did I miss anything? That was everything. Great. Well, we we don't even. We should just have an episode where we, you just give the takeaway. <laughs> That's really all we need. It'd be much shorter, right? Yeah. People know that they can just skip to like three fourths of the way the, the through the episode. Feature. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, if you have thoughts about salt or salty snacks, get at us on Facebook or on Twitter. We'd love to hear uh, what you have to say. Um, and uh, thanks for talking to us about salt, Daphne. You're welcome.
This is a feature we call, this is crazy, right? Where I ask Daphne about something that I've seen in the fitness and nutrition world and she tells me if it's a good idea or if it's crazy. Um, this is one that I came to because of Pinterest. Um, there are all these uh, like Pinterest pins about the 21 day fix. And I was like, what's the 21 day fix? And it turns out it's this as seen on TV, um, like diet and exercise plan, even though it'll tell you it's not a diet, um, <laughs> by Autumn Calabrese. Is that how you say mm -hmm. her name? Yeah. And you were saying she does like infomercials and stuff, right? Yeah. That's the first time I heard of her was on an infomercial. And from what I can tell, it's about, um, for like a short period of time for 21 days, you eat spe specific foods in specific portions, um, and then also work out every day. Um, so can you tell me, is this crazy? Well, Autumn Calabrese has done a great job of marketing herself. And <laughs> and whoever her marketing and business people are, um, they're incredible. But eh, you know, it, it's it's another it's another workout program. It's just the latest craze. So first of all, I can't even believe people still watch infomercials, but they do. <laughs> and uh, the first time I saw her was last April, so a little over a year ago. And I was in San Diego, and I was in a hotel. And I was working out in the gym, and so the TV was just on whatever channel it was on. And I saw this, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. So she was, she is the celebrity trainer for a, a talk show host, a male talk show host, but I can't remember what his name is. I think he's the host of, like, Dancing with the Stars. Huh. He's an older man, and she was his trainer, and so I think he was able to help her kind of get sure. started. So the program is pretty basic. She has all these Tupperwares. I know. Okay, so this is where it really starts to sound crazy. And this is not to insult anyone who has like who measures their fallen <laughs> under this spell because I know how easy it is when you're like on oh your God. own, like flipping through the internet to be like, oh, this sounds like a great idea. It's but so But let me desirable. read this aloud yeah. to you. Okay. <clears throat> What's the secret? Our seven exclusive containers. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically like a Tupperware ad. <laughs> That's supposed she's, to change your life. She's selling Tupperware. Each one is color-coded for a different kind of food and pre-measured for the precise portion. You'll never have to eyeball your measurements again. If it fits in the container, you can eat it. Okay, so using my, like, I am sitting here with another person who is rational brain, to me this sounds crazy, right? It's a little crazy. It's a little crazy because then they want you to carry around these seven brightly colored Tupperwares with you everywhere you go. And... I mean, really, what they're trying to sell you is, it's like, if you buy this, then you'll look just like her. And right. if you buy this, you'll be just like her. And you'll have abs just like her. Because you said she has a pretty and intense Instagram, right? She does have a pretty intense Instagram. Um, yeah, she's a, a lovely, you know, very attractive trainer. But, um, you know, whether or not this is the best for every single person, absolutely not. First of all... Every human requires a different amount of food. Right. Like so if this I is had just the same giving... set of containers as my six foot eight husband, I feel like there would be problems, right? right? Mm -hmm. So essentially it's just making everyone across the board who orders this eat just very little amounts of food. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and these, what these, a surprise. If you these, eat less food, you lose weight. Yeah. So these Tupperwares, they are, well, and, and I'm kind of opposed to 
measuring food too strictly anyways because right. it makes I'm you go trying down the to sad path. Well, and I'm of. trying to almost like pull society away from that of the counting and of the measuring and to just try to put everyone back in tune with how they feel and what their body is telling them that they need. And this is taking us so far into the other direction. This is saying, okay, I'm going to ignore exactly what my body needs and what my body is telling me. And I am going to put, okay, I'm going to put some chopped tomatoes in the little orange container. And I'm going to put some grilled chicken in the yellow container. And then I'm going to put X in the the blue container. And then I'm going to um, put it all in a bowl and then I'm going to eat it. And I challenge anyone who's done this 20 way from 21 day fix, you know, tell me if you feel, if you felt really satisfied after, yeah. you know, measuring everything out that whole umami thing, yeah. it ain't happening here. <laughs> so, um, you know, but so for those of you people who are looking to either jumpstart weight loss or who are looking for some type of guidance or, and plans are so appealing. Of course. Even when are. I saw it, I was like, yeah. what is this? You know? Um, oh my gosh. Like Someone she looks else amazing. has already figured out how to solve this problem. That's super frustrating to me and very emotional. Totally. Of course I'm going to yeah. sign up for that. Yeah. Like what Autumn Calabrese doesn't deal with is, um, you know, people who are overweight and who go on this 21 day plan, they're not really addressing what made them overweight in the first place. And generally that's always some type of, um, it's either habits or something emotional. And once again, this is just so surface level. This is so surface level at this point in time in my career. I think I've seen probably thousands of diet books, diet plans, infomercials. And, um, I, I challenge any of you guys to, to tell me of anyone who has, who has not either gain the weight back or who, you know, it's about so much more. Yeah. Like it's, she's marketing this, like this 21 day plan and it's always appealing too to give yeah. it a timeline. Of course. It's like, Oh, it's I only, only have to do it for three it's weeks. It's only 21 days. Guess it's what? Only That's not how weeks. health works. That's not how life works. Are you yeah. only going to be alive for 21 more days? Right. I hope Hopefully not. not. Yeah. Um, but I, and I have to say like, First of all, anything where in the literature it says it's not a diet, it's a diet. Like, yeah. If they have to say it's not a diet, it is almost for sure a diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but diet, the word diet is no longer hip, right? It's right. all about like lifestyle. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's a diet. And yeah, the second thing um, that I was going to say is things like this are tempting because there are some ideas in here that are legit. Yes, exercising is good for you. Mm-hmm. You should exercise. Yes, like eating somewhat less is probably a good idea for most people. Um, so like it's so tricky because it's easy to get hooked into these things because there is some truth in most of them. Mm -hmm. Like it's the same thing with like, um, low carb diets. It's like, yes, there is some truth to what they're saying about carbohydrates, but that doesn't mean that their like conclusion is correct. Mm -hmm. Like I don't need a Tupperware set just because, um, you know, watching portions can be an effective way to lose weight. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to just do what someone tells us to do, mm-hmm. but, but then you do what they tell you for 21 days and then you're, and yeah, they tell you they'll keep taking care of you after that. But really you, now you just have the Tupperware right. and now you just have her DVD. It doesn't even nest. And yeah, if it doesn't nest. And it doesn't where nest. am I going to keep it? Oh my gosh. I know. I, so, I should say, I have no idea if it nests. I just assumed it doesn't, but maybe mm-hmm. it does. So Joanne and I were going to recommend that you guys start with making one small change a day, a week, 
challenge yourself, see if you can get in three workouts this week, if that's a goal of yours, maybe four the next week, um, eat nutrient dense foods, stop eating when you're not hungry anymore, give yourself a cutoff time and you're going to lose weight at a slower pace, but then you'll keep it off. So Daphne, that's my 21 day fix. (laughs) Is it crazy? Yes, it's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Daphne. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shaw-Flam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on iTunes or Google Play Music or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes and for help subscribing, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Fill out our survey at justonemorepodcast.com slash survey. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at justonemorepod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash justonemorepodcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.